to the space cave here is part two with brooklyn-based artist and musician very talented sean micah back and ultra focused i realize that you know it's fun to get kind of to the end point of uh where you currently are as an artist kind of with anyone because then you get into those philosophical things of what does that mean? What is your responsibility to say or do, or is there any, or is it to just play make-believe or imagination or, you know, but I, those are more open-ended and abstract and lead to like, oh, I lost my train of thought. Cause there's a lot to muddle around <laughs> in there. Whereas going back to the beginning, you're a kid, you know, what inspired you? Were you drawing all the time? Did you, so like from my, from my, um, reflection, it was, I drew and I like to try to get better at it and I would, you know, hold something up and have a piece of paper next to it and try to draw that thing. And But I'd go kind of seasonally, you know, a few times throughout the year. I'm like, I'm drawing this month. But then I'd go away and I'd do other things and be more like into sports or something. And I'm curious, I, to me, people that become artists, it was like an infatuation from a very young age of like, oh, I was just always drawing. And then I got really into painting or I got into this. Mm-hmm. Was that kind of the case where people like adults would say, Sean, you're going to be an artist when you grow up because you have no choice. It's, it's, this is a good one because um, someone once said I was like socially trapped to be an artist. Um, and and they, she meant that. Like, so I was, I had a, uh, my, my parents my mother's side is a little creative. My father's side is more, um, they're like mechanics and farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had an uncle that passed away when I was very young, but he was a photographer, a poet and a musician. And, and he would draw too. So we basically had like um, a family that really like supported the arts. And I think our parents maybe had a sense that we um, weren't good at other things. So they really kind of like pushed us into this. So I was like taking classes at the Museum of Fine Arts at a very young age, taking like acting classes at like a summer camp, taking like music lessons, like all really, really, really young. Um, and I think what what happened is, is just like, I had no other alternative basically. Like I was only really good at all those things i was like i've only always been really good at like yeah playing music or drawing or thinking really abstractly about things um like i'm not good at all the other stuff that you do in high school so i didn't do well in high school naturally i mean there's other reasons to explain but um a 
out of fear of like really fucking up my life, I um, took the last few years of high school pretty seriously and was able to kind of get myself into a decent GPA enough to apply to college. And mm -hmm. then I got into like one school. I got into, I applied to a bunch of schools, but I got into this small art school in Boston um, called uh, the Art Institute of Boston. It's now part of Leslie University. Anyway, so I, I once I got there, I started to realize um, like I was pretty good at this stuff. Like, like my drawing classes are going really well. My like composition classes are going pretty well. Like all of the sort of foundation core stuff that you do at like a freshman, like I'm doing really well. Like every teacher really loves working with me and I'm doing pretty well. Um, uh, like where do, I, where, do I, where do I trying to get with that? Like, I eventually was like, I had two roommates that were like, you should seriously consider um, doing a fine arts major because you're maybe wasting your life with a graphic design um, career. Or you might not be happy because like, you, you just have this like, you're touched or something. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, I was like, okay. So I like kind of double majored. I maxed out all the credits I could do. And then I found a professor in the painting department and, um, and I started making these paintings behind me, like a whole project around that. And um, yeah, I don't know. So I've always kind of been in a situation where it was like, that was the, the better alternative to other things. And it was also just like what I was, in, I don't want to say naturally because that's not really the right word, but like, I've just done it so much that it came to me very intuitively. Um, so why would you do something that's going to like frustrate you, you know, mm -hmm. but um, it doesn't set you up for life. Well, because you're <laughs> basically skirting all of your responsibilities in life. And that can be bad for, you know, friends and relationships you're in because you're only taking yourself seriously. It's a little like deeply narcissistic, but um it's got me to where I'm at now. And now I'm like a little bit more, I think I'm a lot more self-aware of these things. Um, so it's like, I, I owe a lot of it, I think to my uncle and kind of inheriting all of these like um, drives from him, but then also inheriting like his guitar, um, a lot of like images, uh, like photographs that he would take and I think in some way, some like psychologically, I'm trying to be him in a way. Mm -hmm. He passed away at a very young age and it traumatized my family. Um, my mom raised him more or less on her own. So she was extremely traumatized by it. And um, in some way that I think I'm trying to like um, become him so that my parents will love me more in a way, <laughs> uh, in a way that maybe they, I, I worried that they loved him more than me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, that's not true, but like that, that might be how I read it as a child. That seems like um, such a big thing to be able to be vulnerable, vulnerable about and speak. It might be a thing mm -hmm. that people would say about you or, you know, to have the awareness to go, I, I think this might be a thing that's driving me. That would seem like the type of thing that people would spend years in therapy and then stumble upon it and go, aha, oh, oh my goodness. Like to say it so casually is, it just feels, it's just it, interesting. It did, it did come up in, in a session, a therapy session. 
and I have a therapist that's very specific to language and it's like a Lacanian. And so on our very first session, he kind of said something to that, to that, that effect. And I was like, holy shit, that really makes sense to me. Um, and it was a really good thing because then it like was able to like look at all my relationships with my family in a in a new way. Um, and my brother is also an artist, and so we were able to like kind of talk about that. I, I totally forgot that. Like, yes, yeah, so I got an older brother; he's an artist as well. So we've been kind of bouncing ideas off of each other um, for a long time. And there was like a, a long period in like college. I mean, I, I play music. I always play music, but we played in a band together for years. Um, so we jammed together. And so that was also a very important part of my, like, I think, um, creative development was like just learning how to um, be in an ensemble, you know, like to play along with people is hard. Mm -hmm. But if it's your brother, it's a little bit easier because you kind of have a certain sense. And he actually taught me how to play the guitar. So that's, and he, I would play guitar and he played drums. But I also bought the drums first and then gave up. It's like I bought the guitar and gave up and he took the guitar and then I took drums and I gave up that and he took that. And then um, he started becoming like a, a roadie for bands and would would leave to get out of the house because the house wasn't so fun. And when he would leave, I would just take his guitar and like learn the songs and then he would come back and be like, teach me a song. And then at some point we just started jamming together. Um, and then for in the band, um, I would use a lot of the graphic design stuff that I'd learned to like do all of like the t-shirt stickers, records, all that. So like, I still like, like that world too, of like design mm -hmm. and, um, and I use that and I think about that a lot, but, um, but so, yeah, I kind of come from a family of creative people where there wasn't much of an other option. And, and, and it's funny that my parents never were like, maybe don't do that because it's not a good idea. And it wasn't until like, maybe like in my late twenties, early thirties, I was like broke and in, in New York. And like, I was like talking to my dad, like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, you know, maybe you need to start giving up on that art thing. Oh, no. And that was like the first time he had said that. And I was like, huh, <laughs> little, little late dad. <laughs> but um, the, yeah, I don't know. But my family doesn't get my art. My brother gets my art, but my my mom and my dad, they don't understand the work that I do. Uh, my aunt, I, I think, understands it. Um, but yeah, um, but I th I think that's an interesting thing to think about because I, it's very different from other artists that I know that I don't know have have had different upbringings. Yeah, there's some people that are kind of born into it in different ways, or they find it much later in life. Um, the, the weird thing that that's my situation is that I'm like a very, um, I'm very much as interested in, in philosophy and conceptualism, but I'm also really interested in like painting and pop. And, and those two worlds tend to like have a lot of friction with each other. Like conceptualism almost grew out of like a defiance of like, I am not a painting, I'm not a sculpture, I'm like a performance. Mm -hmm. Now, like you can't commodify me, but eventually that became commodified. Um, so, so like, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm getting at, but like, um, I'm trying to blend like kind of oil and water with my work and that can kind of be good for some people, but it also kind of annoys others. 
again, and annoy the really hardcore conceptualists that are just like, no, like, you know, nothing yeah. should exist. <laughs> Which I, I, I get it. I like, I like that. But I, I also just like to make things too. But to, and it's what I'm like good at too. So it's like I just spend the day doing that. It's, yeah. It's and to not get bogged down in like it, the philosophy kind of births out of what you make and vice versa, as opposed to, okay, I've written down a manifesto of what I believe in and why now I can start painting. It doesn't really yeah. go that way. You know, you kind of, oh, because I did this painting, I didn't realize what I was kind of getting at by tangentially or abstractly what I'm saying here is this is what I believe in. This is kind of a philosophy that I have. It's hard to explain to people, but I think every time you do something, you start to, why do you make certain choices? You know, writers have yeah. to, why do you use that word and not that word? Musicians, why, why in this key? Why, why that progression? Uh, I don't know. Why not this one? Uh, I don't yeah. know. You just, you make these little decisions that kind of define your philosophy. But then if you're lucky, I think you get to look back at it and go, Oh yeah, that, this, I don't know why I, like, I don't like this song or this painting. It's because I contradicted myself or I, mm. maybe that, maybe that, I don't know. There are plenty of people that have like a hit song and they hate it. You know, they're like, ah, <laughs> this is not what I want to be doing. Right. Well, that sucks. I, 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 um, yeah, I know a lot of musicians where it's like that happens and it's like, but that hit song really like, allows them to do have a career yeah like i have a friend named anthony rosamondo is the guy used to play um used to play with my brother and, and just tour but he wrote that song um in the shelves that the lady gaga song mm -hmm. and it's like it's given him like a, like a career because so i think he's now like working more as a producer and it's also like highlighted his previous band's acts and so like now he's you know doing that so that that can be good but then i know another another band that like that had a hit and they got signed to a major label and then like every song they would present to the label just rejected 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 because it wasn't like it doesn't have the formula mm -hmm. so with music it's really like you can really imprison yourself in like it's like everyone should have a manifesto but you should be able to like edit it as you grow because <laughs> you're basically painting yourself into a corner each yeah, time right yeah like you write the manifesto and then you make the work and then you're like i i can't make the work anymore because there's no I've manifestoed myself out of it. Yeah. Um, and you're and a I, human I think, and you're going to enjoy yeah. parts that you really thought in your manifesto. And if that word is triggering apologies, if people are listening, like it's associated with terrible things, whatever, whatever. That's but, true. Right? Yeah, your yeah. your diatribe. Your thesis. Your thesis. Your thesis. You wrote yeah. your thesis and it's it's got something that you firmly thought, I won't do this. And like, I don't dance at weddings. And then you go to a <laughs> wedding and you're, you're like, you have a great time. I have a good one time. for that. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, there's there's this uh, critic I like this guy named Hal Foster and he gave this speech at, or he gave this talk at like the museum school and this kid got up and he was like you know what I don't think I should care about any of this because there's a war going on and that artist you're talking about doesn't seem to like and um, basically he was basically like came he he came up with a reason just to kind of dismiss this critic's like point and. It was kind of weird because everyone applauded and it was like this it was actually more of a statement about anti-intellectualism mm -hmm. and um that same guy like two or three weeks later was at a party at my house and we we're all dancing and he <laughs> said the same thing about <laughs> dancing he was like i don't want to dance because there's like no there's a war going on and there's doctors without borders and like why should we and i was just like you said that same thing about the critic <laughs> like 
you're just using the same thing to just, I don't know, not do stuff with your life. Yeah. So that's funny. Um, that person's probably still saying that, but like, I don't want to go to dinner tonight. Like, I don't want to do the dishes right now. Like, I don't want to do my laundry. This is like such a caricature too, like such a sketch and pop into any situation. Guess should we get some appetizers? How can we order bread and sticks and whatever else when there's a war going on? And you know, at some point you do have to, you were talking about like, it's narcissistic maybe to be, oh, I was playing with this clay all day or I was painting or I was they're like little kid activities. And then you come out of the room like that was all for me. But then in reality, people go, wait, 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 can I look in there? What is that? And then if you go, oh, you can look in, it's a couple dollars. And then there's a line. And then suddenly you realize like, okay, well, that thing I spent my time doing, I felt or guilty and a little bit, not ashamed, but kind of like, oh, I'm doing a kid's activity. I'm drawing, I'm painting. And people need that. They need those things. And what I love about your story is, and I would see this all the time at the junk show. I love being surrounded by creative people because say an actor or someone comes out with a, an album immediately, probably everyone's uncle that said, oh, those bands shouldn't talk at the show. They have a preconceived notion like, oh, now you're now you're Tom Petty, huh, buddy? But really, yeah. creative people are creative in so much, in so many more ways than the things you probably know them for. I know this person as an actor. That's all they do. Right. But they dance and they paint and they play music and creativity is kind of endless. And when people yeah. like you and your brother are introduced to it at a young age, you get good at all of them. And I, I just love that. I think yeah. it's uh, such a dumb thing that we do that like, well, you can only be this. You're only yeah, this Yeah, it's person. terrible. Yeah. yeah. There's there's like, the idea that you should only stick to like one style or something mm -hmm. as an artist, like even as a painter, like you can only do like representational work where you can like, that is like the worst idea. And I think for in the broader way, like you should be doing everything. You should be like, whatever it is, like, it all feeds into itself mm -hmm. in a way. I like um, on your website, you have charcoal stuff. You have the, the photographic things we talked about. But I, I think if people just saw the first ones, they'd go, oh, that's, that's him. Let's market this. Let's build a gallery show. And you're like, oh, I have these charcoal things too. And I have sketches and I, ha and I play music. That might be harder because mm -hmm. then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we need you to be whoa, a whoa, niche whoa. person. You, know, you need to be yeah. specific here. Yeah. And I think now it's like you can do more. And I think um, – for a really, really long time, actually, like maybe like 20 years, like I played music and then I like just stopped performing, um, performing music, performing like I, I'm sure as a, a comedian, it's it's hard being on a stage is scary. Mm -hmm. um, so I just like I was like, I'm not going to ever do that again. So I'm just going to start playing music. But I never um, took it that seriously because I was like, well, what if, it, you know, maybe I'm not taking my career that seriously if I'm doing this. And then over the pandemic, like I just said, I need to do do music now. Mm -hmm. um, and I, for like a whole year, just did nothing but that. And it was probably like the, the most like healing thing I could have done for myself because it was like, I was kind of collecting like 20 years of ideas of stuff that I didn't like take seriously for those reasons. Like, oh, it's not the right category, you know, mm -hmm. but um or just like insecure or also be like, oh, maybe I'm not a really a mu musician, like, cause I never finished songs, but then I'm like, well, that's cause you never try to finish songs. Um, and, um, but then if you actually like try it and, and commit to it, it works. And then after watching, like, I, I'm kind of going on a sidetrack, but I watched that get back that Beatles thing mm -hmm. and you watch that and you're like, 
it took these guys a month just to get like a song tight. And then you're like, oh yeah, all rough drafts suck. <laughs> Everything that you start, it should kind of be like terrible. And then you hone it, you know, like the, when you start a painting, it's not going to be good. And most people give up at that stage because yeah. like, I'm not good enough. This yeah. doesn't look good. But like, you really have to just carry on with like the bullshit or like do like four versions of something. And then the fifth one, it works or something. Yeah. Sometimes the first one works. And when it does, that's awesome. Um, but, but that's not always going to happen. Like nine times out of 10. Yeah. That's not going to happen. People get to know these emotions through, you know, say someone's a realtor and they, the first house they try tough, they don't, they don't really know how to get people to the open house or they maybe get something into escrow and then it, it, they don't close it. And the fourth or fifth house they try, they finally make a sale and then they've developed, Oh, I, I wasn't doing this before. And then inevitably you look back years later and go, I was so, I just didn't know anything. I didn't know what fit me, what my skills were, what my, Mm -hmm. what my thesis was, what my philosophy going into it was because you have to build it as you're doing it. You're like, ah, they did. They told me in school that this was going to work, but I tried to, that didn't work for me at all. And whether it's people that play like certain types of guitars, oh, this is the top of the line. I can't play right. that one. I play this little cheap one and it sounds the way yeah. I want it to sound. There's just weird stuff like that you can't explain. And I love you only get to know it if you start, if you do it. Mm-hmm. The cheap guitars are the way I just bought like this Yamaha guitar recently. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so much better than most guitars that you would. Do. And, and it's because it's made the same way. Mm-hmm. It's just cheaper. But, you know, yeah. I like There's just so much. Yeah. I, I, I used to uh, put shoes on horses' feet, be a farrier. And uh, mm-hmm. I would ask some of the guys, you know, like there's there's certain types of tools that were the highest end. And I'd be like, I just use these. These are like entry level, like a Squire guitar. And one guy was like, I just think whatever tool works the best for you is the one you should use. And that's such yeah. a simple, like Occam's razor kind of thing. But everyone's always looking for, think of how many people you see on, I see this all the time. People on bicycles, varying degrees of fitness, but always like pretty high-end gear and spandex yeah. and stuff that they're wearing. <laughs> like they went. You, you see it a lot in like marathon culture too, like mm-hmm. $500 shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, I, I ran for years. I did marathons and stuff. And I was like decent, but like I was never a fool to, to like to yeah. do that. But if, if you're like, you know, if you want to, you can do it. <laughs> But, but you, you see it a lot in the bike culture, for sure. But those are the people, when you talk about like careers or assistants, you know, helpers, they're the people going, all right, I just bought this house. How do I fill it out? I got you. I'll get you some art. This is the art you need. And then it's, this is what you should have. You should have these shoes. You should have this type of guitar. You should have this type of art. I, I, that feels such a like a sad existence to never truly be able to look at something. And go, what do I really need? What really well, excites me or fulfills you're me? You're not really um, sorry to interrupt, but you're not then doing what you need. Mm-hmm. You're not asking yourself what you want, yeah. and that's actually the fundamental question that a lot of us don't ask ourselves: is that what do what do I really want? Like, how many people like when they like go to Netflix or some whatever it is you're going to watch stuff on, just scroll for hours because you're like, I don't know what I really want to watch. Or like that problem existed in me when I'd go to the video store, I'd be like, I don't know what I really want to watch. Because mm-hmm. I kind of maybe don't know what I really want most of the time because uh, for, 
that's a whole other thing psychologically, but, <laughs> but we don't spend enough time. Um, just guy, Adam Phillips is a psychologist. We don't spend enough time thinking about the unlived life that we want to live. Mm-hmm. And if, if we did spend more time thinking about that, we would actually learn more about what we want. Um, and we might learn that our frustrations might teach us more about like what we're like running up against constantly because we're not allowing ourselves to like to, to do that. And I think um, like with music, it's like very interesting because it just feels good to, to hear it, right? Or, or to play it or perform it. Um, there's just something that's like so kind of comforting um, to that. There's no way to kind of explain it, but you know, you kind of need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like times where I just know I need to be doing that. I don't know what the point is, but you just need to strum some chords. Like yeah. you just need to feel that or like pluck away at the piano or hum. Like humming is one of those things that really apparently like um, regulates your nervous system. It like, it chills you out. And I would imagine it has something, I'm, this is my thought, is that it had probably something to do with how you were hummed to or sung to as a child. Makes sense. And that those frequencies um, are registering with your body's frequencies. And it's like, oh, that's what I used to feel like before the world was scary. <sighs> Man. <laughs> <laughs> how before you like thrust out into like, you know, in the womb. The world is not scary yeah you know in utero like there's a reason why like that's a, such a why we love the ocean right and you just like float in and you're like oh my god <laughs> it's like so, not a worry in the world anymore it's it, the that a world provides that one that is just filled with entropy and burning balls of nuclear fission and gases exploding and but also flowers blooming and sunlight yeah, and like, a gentle like, tide just <laughs> Yeah, that is a weird sort of, oh, this, this air on my skin right now and just this gentle breeze, the way it feels is the most comforting. It's like being hummed to by- Or hugged or something. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And those two things at play, maybe art needs that, you know, maybe that's as cliche as like lightness and darkness and all that, but the, they're very real. The emotions we feel yeah. like when the pressure gets too much and how do we learn what we need to get out of that? Do you just talk through it? Do you have- I just feel art and creativity. If your brain responds to that, they're just like breathing oxygen. You have to do it. To yeah, it's, all those it's dopamines. O- and- it's like fuck oxygen for sure. And it's like also then what is the right work for you in that mood? Mm-hmm. You know, like um, what's the right voice for you at that time or something like that? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, and really listen to yourself because most of us run away from ourselves or, or, we have an, an amazing economy for self-censorship, right? Um, that that really devastates us from like, or, or really keeps us from doing things. I like when uh, um, someone will say, what's your guilty pleasure? And a, a great response is like, I don't have any. If I like something, I like right. it. I don't feel guilty about yeah. it. I'm going to like whatever song I like or what, whatever thing you're going to try to talk me into, I shouldn't like it. That's your thing. I'm going to like what right, I like right. and let myself do that. I think that's a, a, a hard thing for a lot of people to achieve. Do, yeah. Oh, do you not like it? I can go change. What? Wear your thing. Yeah. If it made you feel yeah. good putting it on, wear it out. Have fun. Enjoy it. Like be weird. Be mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we all it- grab Did you have someone? And so you kind of hinted at this and skipped over it, and we don't need to dwell on it or even really reference it much more than you said something in high school was maybe a little challenging and it could have led a certain direction. And I feel like with art, 
typically there's some sort of obstacle or darkness or something that maybe it's not the catalyst for things, but it's certainly something you can reference or draw to in that why art was necessary, why it moved it up a level to like, oh, then I suddenly really needed it. It wasn't just a hobby or fun. It became this sanctuary. Did you have that? And did you have someone maybe ahead of you that was that weirdo? It's like, I don't know. I wanted to wear a ski vest and I did today. And they went to school and it didn't matter if people shot spit wads at them or made fun of them. They were them. And everyone, I think, hopefully gets to have someone like that in life, whether they recognize it or not, whether they know that it mattered that, oh, I did need someone like that. They, They kind of pulled me in that direction. Yeah, it's both in a way. Like the, the life at home was a bit um, tumultuous, and um, you know, parent. It can be hard to be a parent, and I. Um, so, anyway, long story short, like I used my work to kind of, I guess, hide mm-hmm. away in my own world. Like you know, hide in your room when things aren't too happy outside of the room. Um, so it became a place to. Um, be safe in a way. And also you can recode or um, transform that trauma that you're experiencing into something symbolic that can then maybe give you insight into how you're feeling. Uh, I kind of know this now, but I didn't know that then, but like a a lot of the, a lot of that was, yeah, just due to having a trouble at home. Um, And like I, I had an older brother, he got interested in like punk rock music and my uncle, Brian, his wife, um, she, she saw me listening to like Guns N' Roses at, at, in like the third grade and thought, mm-mm, and bought me like a Sex Pistols tape. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. She was like, that's fake punk. Here's, <laughs> like, these, here's, here's the more real fake punk. But, or the generational fake punk. But but anyway, and then she was like really interested in the Smiths and Morrissey. Um, but that was maybe an introduction to like that culture. And then my brother, a little bit older, hanging out with more misfits. Um, you know, then you learn about like bands like the misfits and skateboarding. And I think I, I, I gravitated to a lot of weirdos through my brother's friends. And then when, they kind of graduated. I did find some other friends that were like them, like almost like surrogate brothers friends mm-hmm. in high school. So I did have like older friends that I would kind of um, like lead me in a way, in a way. But um, yeah, I think that's like super important because it does give you, it does kind of be like, yeah, like you, nobody has to like stay normal or, or follow the sort of mainstream. And, I, and where I grew up was like this, uh, it was in Newton, Massachusetts. It's like super waspy white wealthy um suburban town outside of boston right next to brookline so like that really hit like you know when when you have someone shaving their head in high school like that's really radical compared to like everything else Mm -hmm. um um i remember yeah this is a weird memory i don't know why this is coming up i remember my neighbor andrea sharpie she was like going to punk rock shows and green day had just like signed to like a big record label and they were playing this club called um the rat skeller or the rat which is this, this awesome club that used to exist in boston it was like boston's original cbgb's kind of mm-hmm. um but they were playing a show there and they had, they had signed to this major label and so like she was handing up like protest like you know boycott the show and i was like <laughs> 
Should we but be that was the kind of- enjoying? There's a war going on, guys. Should we be <laughs> supporting Green Day in this big record label they've signed to? But it was like when selling out mattered. I think you know. Yeah. And that that was like a thing. Um, and I think that's that's kind of beautiful that there was that kind of passion. You know. I that, still because everyone sells out now, and it's like you ask people what sells out means, and they're like. Oh, that means they're doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> I still remain steadfast in, uh, I, I did a little Patreon thing on the, for this podcast about it. And I feel like such an old codger. I don't know what the term would be. We're like a curmudgeon, but I don't mm-hmm. like when people have the means or the resources to not be a shill or a corporate spokesperson for a company that doesn't care about the environment or maybe doesn't care about their workers' uh, well-being, et cetera. Yeah. It bothers me. I, I don't feel like, oh, good for them. They got their band's song in so they can pay their rent this month. I get that. It's, it's a difficult thing because if you were those giant fat cats, for lack of a better term, and you saw that person going to the Green Day show, you would worry. Maybe they're going to make an impact. And artists are, in theory, like what we were talking about, aware of the world and trying to spread a message of this is what the the people at the top of the pinnacle would ideally like you to do. They'd like you to be buying their stuff and not thinking, eating what they sell you. And I'm just going to make this painting that in some way hopefully expresses that I don't think you should do that. I think you should look up. I think you should question things. I think you should not celebrate people selling out so that this bank can fund this pipeline that ruins ecosystems up and down whatever corridor. And yeah. we've given up on that. So it feels sad. It feels kind of feels sad. sad yeah. You're just like, ah, selling out. You got to pay your bills. I get it. Yeah. Well, there's no like, uh, all those other things make people authentic in a way. And you're kind of losing that, like, that claim to authenticity. If you're just like, you're just kind of um, following what other people do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we it's not bad to do that because we learn from following people. We learn things. We learn by watching our parents or our friends. Yeah. Um, but we kind of do it too much when it becomes like our personal tastes and preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, but being an artist is like one of those things where you really have to take that risk and be like, oh, yeah, this is what I really need or want. But for some people, it's like there's no other option. It's like it's this or or a life of absolute depression, you know, and, and that's what it was for me. It was like, uh, but, you know, but now I'm at the stage where it's it's it's, it's tough so you do work other jobs you know but you seem to figure it out it seems like they're i don't know just i mean we've been chatting for a little bit it's not like we hang out all the time but you seem grounded and well-rounded and almost like all the things that factored into it have been good and maybe that's just a way to process them you know you don't want to live a life going "Ah, i could have done this if this gallery show had gone better i'd be in a big mansion by now or but, you know, to have a, a well-rounded view of, because I'm sure you have a lot of peers who are furious. They're frustrated, like, my work's not getting what I want it to, or it's not having the message or the impact. Or, you know, if you're really mad at society and you're you're trying to get your art to in some way, like, in, in, invoke some change or activism or whatever it might be, and, and you just consistently see people buying into this kind of machinery and they're not mm-hmm. raging against it. Uh, you could see where that would just eat away at you, but you seem to have a fundamental understanding of who you eats, are, where you eats, fit in. Yeah. Sorry. It eats at me sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, you, you just have to really work hard at not letting that mm-hmm. kill you because yeah. that's, that definitely exists strongly. Um, 
the best way to avoid that is to avoid talking to people about it. <laughs> I, I, I try to not talk to, I have friends that are artists and I talk to them, but then there are friends that are artists and I don't talk to them. Yeah. I don't know. Like any job I've ever worked in the art world, I now know not to tell them I'm an artist because the conversations will make you want to give up. Being an artist, <laughs> typically. You, um, um during our break, you put on, I think it might be a Slayer shirt. And I, but I, I listen, did, yeah. Okay. I listened to, <laughs> to your music and I really like it. And it reminds, I don't want to say, I don't like when people, oh, it reminds me of this. It has a tone or a feel um, that's reminiscent of other music I like that's gentle. It's not Slayer. And it's, yeah. it's like something created by someone that is, I think you said like staring out the window on a rainy day is how you likened it to like, yeah, that's feel. what someone said to me. Yeah. And I, I just think of someone like on a bus, maybe just watching the world and letting those feelings that aren't pure negativity, huh. but you know, the, sometimes when you see things just of the world, there's not a slayer reaction to it. There is a, there's like a little kid reaction to it. Like you want to hear the hum, huh. you want to be in the ocean yeah. gently. And so music that tries nice. to give that emotion, I really like that's kind of like, we don't have to meet every frustration with rage or hostility or anger you can also meet it with like this is how it makes me feel and yeah. i think the music to me that's what it was conveying that's really nice like i um i, I was sharing one song like the second track on this collection of songs with someone before i had like written any lyrics for it and they were like it was I, i'd said it to a bunch of uh co-workers because when i i lost my job in the beginning of the pandemic but like a week before it, we all had decided that we were like um, going to try to help people. <laughs> this sounds really ridiculous, but help people who were dealing with kids at home. And so our idea was just to like make games and write music and have like story times for kids. So cool. So I was like, oh, I'll write some music because, you know, and then we'll get kids to write lyrics and then I'll just sing those lyrics or something. And um, the first thing I did, I shared it. And everyone really liked it. And I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> I didn't expect people to like it. And then someone said like um, this, and this is like maybe four months into the pandemic. This is like June um, in New York, you know, which was intense. And they said like, it felt like I was staring out the window for like four months, seeing all the shit go by, but also seeing the weather change and things get better. And it kind of exactly explains what you're ex explaining, like this this feeling of like seeing um, history kind of go by. Um, and so I then like was like, oh, I should really work on that song. And then I lost my job like a week later and lost. <laughs> he actually contributed to that song. He like added a bunch of like synthy strings. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, like if someone's actually like, it was one of those things where you show someone something and they're like, they heard something more mm -hmm. and then you're like, Oh, Whoa. So there's something here. Like mm -hmm. there's room for something. And then I was like, I'm going to work on, that. I'm going to take control over that. So then I was like, I'm going to use this. And then I start, started recording and writing and writing and writing. But, um, yeah, but I, I listened to lots of metal growing up. So like, I love, I love early Metallica. I love Slayer. I really, really love, um, Ozzy Osbourne. Mm -hmm his solo material and I have a, like a, a, a deep like passion for his guitarist Randy Rhodes, who is, who died very tragically after like their second album. 
and he was like a classical guitarist but wrote metal mm-hmm. but um when you listen to his when you listen to those songs they're very like elegant and beautiful um when, when you take away like a lot of the distortion and like the angst or aggression mm-hmm. um so i'm always like trying to sneak something like that into the, into those songs but like it'll never read like that because it's not that's not what you're feeling mm-hmm. but I, i'm always trying to like like a little bit of distorted guitar or a shriek or something but like put it really low in the mix so it's like a suggestion for those people that are like oh that's like a kind of metal sound or something <laughs> <laughs> but it is more like quiet and it, it is kind of more like, like a humming in, in a sense um but yeah, but thank you. Yeah, yeah, man. I yeah, I um. It's like always scary sharing it because I I've not done that for a long time, but um, I'm just starting to do it now, and it's it's nice, and it's like you you're like oh okay I can do this, and so like I am continuing to write and and record, and but I don't have any ambition of ever like playing a show or. Um, because yeah. I've done that, you know. Yeah, and it's exhausting. Well, the but pandemic like shut down obviously live performance so much, and I had it had thinned down for me in the last two or three years, maybe prior to the pandemic, as far as like being out on the road, traveling and touring regularly. But then so much like during the pandemic, where it's not my natural state to be up in front of people. And it kind of built that up as like a muscle, just like you would the callus playing yeah. the guitar or something. And now the thought of you know, being on stage in front of people, I'm sure I could do it, but I do have some apprehension of like, mm-hmm. how did I ever do? That's not really my thing. And is that Are you worried some... about people, like how they'll behave now? Like, I think it's just me, you know, like you, you were just saying, mm-hmm. it's embarrassing to share it. I mean, it's such a weird thing to go in front of a crowd of people and be like, here's some thoughts I had. And to like say them into a microphone just feels, it feels very strange to me all of a sudden. It just feels kind of foreign and like, this is something I did for so long and I loved it. I still in principle think I do, but is that kind of where some of that came from for you of like... I I think, I know it's like with painting and art, like I'm very confident and I'm not like insecure about showing it typically, but with music, it's like, there's so much more that I'm showing that it scares the hell out of me. And I did play a few shows like solo shows uh, in Boston. And I do remember, I remember one where the music is quiet and I remember people talking at the bar and I could hear it. And I think I, they even said something like, play it louder or kind of mockingly. I wonder how much that impacted me because <laughs> it seems, <laughs> I still seem to remember it. <laughs> but um, that could be a real drag for like, quiet music and then also I was on a really loud band before that so like I don't know that's a very different thing where like you know the expectation you got to sing really loud and be like you know Mm -hmm. American Idol there's like a whole kind of thought of what singing is supposed to sound like yeah but that's not that's not really true um so I don't know finding a voice that you're comfortable with which is also just being honest with yourself you're like this is my natural singing voice. Deal with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or this is the this is where I hear the melodies. Like you know, um, I have a very like kind of baritone voice, and I could sing like more like really really low if I wanted. But that's not how I feel. Mm-hmm. That's like really the mood that I want to share with people. Or like, because 
music is about kind of expressing a mood or feeling like, you know, um, yeah. But then finally finding comfort in like, oh, I just sing a little bit in this register. And I've learned like um, guitar tunings. Like I don't, I, I tune my guitar much lower than most, it's like a, not a standard tuning. It's like half a step to a full step down. Mm-hmm. And that matches my voice better. Um, so you can figure out like what are the right tones for that kind of sound in mm-hmm. a way. So I don't like, I mean, I like singers that can belt stuff out, but I'm not a belter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like how on earth Leonard Cohen ever figured like, this is for me. Right. I'm just going to kind of talk. <laughs> this Really low energy. <laughs> yeah. Just low energy. And can you go grab that over there? We're recording. But, this is a song. I'm recording. <laughs> like, well, go grab but you, I listened to some of your uh, previous um, uh, interviews and there was the one with the music musician and, and, uh, um, and, and, and you kind of talked about this, like when you're in the studio, you're, you're performing in a certain way and the listener hears that and they're com- very convinced that like, that's the thing. But when they were in there, they were just like, you know, <laughs> but when they're on stage, they have to emote, like they have to show the affectation. Mm-hmm. And I find those two worlds very interesting because, um, I think what's going on in the studio is a little more interesting than what's going on on the stage because the stage is more a secondary thing. Yeah. And I've always heard, like, I love this, but I heard that Roy Orbison doesn't, or when he sang, he sang quietly. So that when he reached his, like, high notes, he wasn't super straining, but he could kind of strain. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like he's belting, but he's actually not. And then I was like, oh. So then you kind of just learn there's all these different techniques of just like, oh, we kind of just, it's just like, adding pressure to your vocal cord that makes it sound like you're screaming. And then you just learn, okay, well, then it's just like certain recording techniques. Like you record very loud or you, you have like the volume high on your mics. Yeah. Recording it hot, I guess is what they call it. Um, yeah. Like figuring all that stuff out is, is very helpful, but it's hard to, to get there. <laughs> I, yeah, I would imagine to settle in. I think too, that like certain voices are, a fingerprint, singular, unique. Other people, like if like if I did a country voice, I could yeah. just then somebody be like, "You want to play my metal band?" Could I switch yeah. over and be like, "Hit it, fellas!" And then I just sing in like this weird drawl. We kind of and to say like it's the only way I sing. Everybody, people yeah. go, "No, it's not." You no, can sing. Not. You can sing a different way than that. So everyone's yeah. kind of doing this weird thing when they sing of choosing a voice mm-hmm. and going with it. But over time you go, well, that voice is unmistakably Roy Orbison. There's, you know, mm-hmm. he, maybe he had other ones. Maybe he'd get in the studio and be like, let's do it, gang. And have like a Mickey Mouse <laughs> voice. And everyone's yeah. like, Roy, let's stick with the main one. People know Pretty Woman. They like that sound. But Do you know this, do you know this woman, uh, Aldous Harding? She's a musician. Yeah, yeah. Like, she like switches voices in songs like quite a bit, and it's very impressive because she still sounds like her. I think I played one of her to... songs on this show. I, yeah, I really like her. It's really good stuff. She's mm-hmm. like really developed to be a really great songwriter. But her first two albums are like the they're a little more um, folky and melancholic, and almost a little more traditionally. But she does have this like every now and then, like the voice kind of changes a little bit, and you're like huh, it's almost like she's adding another personality into the song, mm-hmm. which I like, because like I like the idea that songs can be like two people talking, like a dialogue. 
And so when you add that other voice or another singer, you can get that, but she's kind of just doing it in her own head. And it's, but that it still all sounds like her is the achievement. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing is like to make it all still sound like you. Yeah. Um, yeah, been, it's hard. I've been doing all these um, sketches and I, throughout the years I've put them on this show as like a lead in and usually I would just kind of riff them. And then I started during the pandemic when, especially not writing stand up, maybe writing more toward that and adding more characters and more voices. And then I would do quite a bit of them and then kind of realizing like, well, it's a little boring if I'm doing all the characters. And so I started reaching out to friends. And if you have this, you know, uh, there could be like a country guy. And then a guy that sounds to my mind, very different. But adding in someone else's voice was unmistakably someone else. There was never a period where I was like, oh, I really disappeared in there. I'd be like, no, you can still hear this through line. Everyone has, like you were saying about her, a signature thing that maybe you can distort it so much. People go, that wasn't two people? But mostly they'd be like, oh, yeah, she changes it, but it's definitely still her. And that is a that has to be specific to a human ear, I would guess. That we can, no matter how much you right now change your voice up or down, I'd go, yeah, I can still hear little signatures. A little bit of me. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of you somewhere hidden in there. I think that's like the grain or the tim- the timber, I think, of people's voices. Like, mm-hmm. that's what does it. Um, yeah. The funny thing that I've noticed is that when I sing, I sound younger. Like, I kind of <laughs> go into this, like, and, and people, when they hear it, they're like, that's not you. And I'm like, no, that is me. They're like you kind of sound like a kid and i'm like that's interesting or that's a, i kind of think i sound like a kid but um but no one sounds that old i mean even johnny cash at the end sounded like an old he man. sounded old man, sounded, yeah. beyond that everyone kind of keeps their sound where david bowie up to the end still sounded mostly like david bowie it's hard to tell an age when someone has a a, a voice we're used to so I wonder what that means, that your young voice is, oh, when you first started doing this, that's the voice that stays with you for life. That's probably what it is. It's like my the first time I was sung, it was mm-hmm. probably when I was a child and that I heard that. And then I was like, oh, I guess that's how I sound. Yeah. Um, and I know that like when you're singing or, or if you're singing a couple of registers high or a couple of octaves, yeah, you're, I guess you're going to sound kind of younger because you're, you know, you're just, your pitch is, is higher. I was um, <laughs> I was writing these sketches with this kind of cowboy guy in mind. He's old. He does this kind of country music. But it, like singing, he can't sing songs really like this. He would sing more and just come down in age and sound uh-huh. like he did maybe when he was, I don't know, 30 or something. Ah, sing down here. You'd... It, I think that is a very singing because it's like a youthful, joyful act. Maybe that's <laughs> ages you down part of it or something. I don't know. That's interesting. Maybe. I don't know. It is interesting. Um, like I, um, I'm a big fan of like Elliot Smith, mm-hmm. like his, his music. And I've listened to his music enough to where I've heard he hated his voice. And he used to say he sounds like, um, Elvis Costello with a cold. <laughs> and, and if you listen to his early bands, it does. It sounds kind of terrible to a degree, or it doesn't sound like the voice that you would hear when you think of his voice. And what it kind of kind of sh- shows is like the similar thing is like probably took him like a, a lifetime to really figure out what sounded right. And it was probably just him being more natural with his voice as opposed to like, I think he played in some heavier rock bands and probably was like, 
you know, wanted to sound like Fugazi or something like that, because everyone loved Fugazi at mm -hmm. that time. So I think there's there's that too. It's like, you know, you there's all the stuff that you listen to and it inspires you and you kind of want to sound like that. But then you find out that's not what you sound like. Yeah. You know? Um, and that that could probably happen too with art. Like you you admire all these other artists, but that's not really the art that like suits you. Um, and it's hard to find that thing of like what what works for you, like you know. I um, would uh, I would know even in uh, like negative reviews or something if they said uh, about my stand up it doesn't remind me of anyone but blah 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 I hated it or you know whatever whatever the end was that was negative I would I would still take away some positive of like well that was kind of my goal is uh, ideally you want like when I saw your painting and I said oh it's kind of like. Charlie Russell, like he has an aesthetic, right. but you would want to get where people look and immediately go, Oh, that's Sean Micah for sure. I would, if not, it's a really good knockoff, but this person was inspired and or directly trying to steal Sean's style. That's what yeah. you want in any art form. I think is to like figure out like you're born with clay all over your hands and you've got to just chip away until you f figure out what your own fingerprint looks like. And then that's that and you go, Oh, okay. I can just, I can put a bunch of marks wherever now, but I, at least I know what I'm touching. It feels better to me. It makes a very distinct um, pattern when I do put it there. Like right. your nerves. Or, well, no, yeah, I yeah. just mean the pattern of your fingerprints is specific yeah. just to you. But mm -hmm. as an artist, maybe you have something covering that up where like each time you paint, each thing you do, you're taking a layer down a little bit so that now when you press your finger down, you feel it a little bit more because you go, that feels right to me. My fingertip the thing that's very sensitive is touching this. But beyond that, it's leaving a mark that is very specific to you. That is, it took you a while to get yeah. there, but oh my, I know what my fingerprint is now. Maybe not everyone likes yeah. this, but like I'm not putting down uh, a, a clay finger that sounds a little bit like Elvis Costello with a, a stuffy nose. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to just trust yourself. Like what, what is this? What, what, what sounds right? What, what's really like, like, the, I don't know. Um, this is weird, but like, do you get goosebumps when you listen to music? It's been a long time. I, I don't even remember. I think I only get goosebumps these days in like a weather change or something. I can't think of the last time that I like experienced a human emotion and went, Ooh, it gave me goosebumps. I, yeah. Like that's when you know something's working. I think mm -hmm. when, when, when you're, when, when the music kind of gives you that feeling where you're like, this is so undescribable that it's making my body change. Yeah. Uh, in a way that's like, that's so unconscious, right? That's like literally what it is. It's like almost an hysterical reaction in a way yeah i think that's when you know that you should be listening to something there because there's something like don't intellectualize it just like dig into that feeling and then also like dig into what the what are the associated feelings that you had there you know like um i don't know and with music it's really weird it's just like it's like a chord or like a sequence of chords that like really is doing something for you and you're not sure where it's going typically you're just like uh, I'm just gonna keep playing with these until like eventually I'll stumble upon a, another chord that or like a, another way to play these things and then you have like a chorus or something um it's it's fun yeah it's like playing it's like playing in the sand in a way right I think a lot of things we've talked about about you know 
the childlike thing, the the kind of wonderment or the silliness or the catharsis. Yeah. Artists need to make art just as much as they need to experience it, I feel like. I, I, I bet there are no artists that go, ah, I can't stand music, can't stand paintings, can't stand... <laughs> I Just give me a dark room. Give me some hardcore conservative news program. That's what I need. Or, or just any political news. N- neither side involved. But just give me news and a newspaper and bad news and war. That's what I like. I just don't buy yeah. that. And I think that's why it feels nice when you can give that to someone that maybe the world as you go along, and it is traffic and purchasing things and securing squirreling away money and security. And pretty soon it's all so rigid and to burst through that just a little bit to give someone that feeling that like, yeah. Oh man, it snuck in. I was going through the dial on my radio and boom, something hit me and it yeah. really grabbed me. If you could give that to someone, you would all the time. You, you need this. It's remarkable that it does do that. And it's the best feeling as an artist that I've had when someone like recently, like I I'd sent some music to someone randomly and um, they, 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 it did, it did something for them. And I was like, Oh wow. Like that really felt awesome because I didn't expect, I didn't intend to do that, but it had some unexpected um, improvement to your day. Mm-hmm. And then recently I had some paintings, like a, a friend I'd bought them for as a gift for um, his partner. And um, they told me that like, you know, there was lots of crying involved when they saw the paintings. And I was like, wow, that's like literally the best compliment you could ever ask for is that that a painting could bring you to your knees or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're reminded, you know, like, cause I'm like, I live my head too much. I'm like frustrated or angry sometimes. And you're just like, what am I doing any of this for? And then it's like those moments where you're just like, oh, that's what you're doing it for. It's, you're doing it for yourself, but you forget that like, there's this audience that you have no control over that like that may really, really help them get somewhere in their life or, or just feel good yeah. for a moment. And that's like, you can't put money on that. Like a painting is great, but like the f- effect that has on someone or the effect a song has on someone is like, there's no price on that really. And there's no price for that person's memory of that. Like they, I cried they'll always have that. And that's like super human or unique to human beings, I guess. I hope someone transcribes that because my friend, you just wrote your thesis. (laughs) 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 That's such a perfect encapsulation of that's it. I mean, that was... I, when I would do my uh, variety show, sometimes there wasn't the biggest crowd there, but there would be something. There would be that feeling where we all just were kind of like, what did we all just experience together? And there's something unique about we weren't in a stadium we are in this little right. thing where that moment in time was specific to just us. I would always bring... And everyone's, everyone's quiet and everyone's listening. The, That's like a really beautiful moment. Right? Oh, it's man. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it happens in your, when you're watching a movie or you go to a play and like everyone's engaged and you're like, we're all like on the same like kind of plane subjectively, but we're all so very different. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but it's the closest you can be to like feeling like one with everyone or like the, the, the cosmos somehow i guess there was uh one of the early shows of it this girl came she's like 18 i used to do a thing where i'd put an ad on craigslist like do you have a talent you don't get to perform enough would you like to come do it on a stage with an audience this girl brought a cd as a backing track she was going to sing and she got up and she made it through her first song and she kind of like did a little curtsy and everyone was clapping and she was very uh 
endearing. You could like really root for her because she was nervous and she dressed really nice. And her second song, she was scanning her brain for like the next verse. And I was in the back of the room and the whole crowd all at once just unprompted or what, just slightly leaned forward in their seats like, come on. Like we're with you. It was <laughs> such a unique, I, I will always think about that moment of like, no one said, guys, come on. She needs a, it was just everyone together kind of going, we're with you. And yeah. That, you know, if you can give someone that or share that or experience that, it's, that's the best. life like living. That's like, they're, you're alive. You're yeah. not like sitting there thinking about what to do next. Yeah. Or is this person cool or not cool? Like <laughs> you're just like being there. You're completely present. Yeah. Dude, this was so fun. I, I we could go yeah. on and on. I don't want to take up all of your day, but SeanMica.com, beautiful paintings and artwork here. Bandcamp also, M-I-C-K-A. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I obviously did very much. And uh, when we emailed after, Sean brought up the idea of, if we do, do it again, involving some cool beers in the mix. And I think that's a fantastic idea. So uh, look forward to that. I'm going to try to start bringing some beers back into the the fold. I've been hesitant just because I think that asking people to go out and run an errand for whatever reason seems like uh, asking them to do too much. And that might be a personal thing when someone asks me to do their podcast and I say, sure. And they go, oh, and by the way, read eight books beforehand. I'm like, what? So I never want to give anyone any kind of homework or an errand, but most people have been like, I'm going to be buying beer anyway. Just tell me what to get. So I will try to involve that more in the show. Uh, we chatted a little bit more uh, at the beginning and at the end. I'll probably uh, put those together and add that to the Patreon. Thanks to those of you who do support the show that way. It uh, makes this show possible. It It is brought to you ad-free because of contributions from listeners just like you. And if you don't want to be a monthly subscriber to something like a Patreon, telling one person or uh, liking or reviewing or subscribing or anything that bumps up the algorithm is helpful uh, and if you don't want to do anything, that's fine too. I'm going to play a song from Sean called Are You Okay? Which I think is, in essence, what art is always saying. If you look at a painting, if you hear a song, it might be saying, are you okay? This is meant to make you feel better. It might be saying, if you're not okay, listen to this or look at this. I have felt that way before. I felt that way and then I made this. So if you have a creative impulse to process your emotions and try to express them it's beneficial for everyone else we're all kind of sharing this existence and if we can uh letting each other know you're not alone you're doing okay i've been there i've felt that way it's a tough challenging time in life right now and i hope you are doing okay getting plenty of sun on your face water hugs from friends if you're not hang in there and uh maybe something like this song We'll, um, or just the phrase, are you okay? We'll boo your spirits just a bit. Big warg, warm hug. Hang in there, you're great. Thanks for listening to this show. And here is Are You Okay from Sean Micah. Thanks for stopping by the Space King. i
Thank <laughs> you.